Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Dr. Matt Gorin, CFP, over-credentialed, underappreciated, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Danny Kofke. Hello. Danny's resume includes four personal finance books, including The Wealthy Teacher. We've also got our producer, Gene Davis, joining us again. Hello. Gene, you just graduated college. Yes, we talked about that on our last episode. How's the resume look? Um, it's definitely shorter than yours or Danny's. But no less impressive. Gene has worked at WGA, written for the Flagpole magazine here in Athens, and has produced content on employment and personal finance. Nice. Yeah, see, plenty to talk about. And here also is Chris Shoup. And my resume, unfortunately, is merely a long list of failures and missed opportunities. Chris, you sell yourself short. You all should see this guy's office. He's running out of space for all his awards, including Best Radio Station in Georgia, which I'm giving you credit for. I was going to say, I'm not actually an entire radio station. So why are we spending so much time on these intros? It's important to recognize your accomplishments and communicate them well as you look for a job. And getting a job is what we're talking about on today's episode. So stick around. Caro Caro Bonito with Try Me, perhaps the most on-the-nose song ever written about applying for a job. So check out Caro Caro Bonito, which means beautiful gas gas. Is that right? Does it? I don't know. Bonita's beautiful. That's Bonita. <laughs> both. <laughs> well, both. Is Bonito masculine? El hombre es bonito. Oh, boy. La mujer es bonita. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Why are we even talking about jobs on this episode? Well, of course, from a personal finance point of view, most of our income is coming from work. Another reason, too, why we look for a job is for life satisfaction. According to a Gallup poll, 40% of Americans don't feel like their job is a good fit for their skills and interests. Yikes. Yeah, and 70% of people don't feel engaged while they're at work. They're just showing up to clock in and earn some money. Think about how we spend more time at work than doing anything else. That's a really depressing life. (laughs) Yes, it is. I used to think that uh, when I left teaching, I was driving into Atlanta. And uh, for those around here know, traffic in Atlanta is not so fun. So I kind of thought to myself, statistically, seven out of every 10 people that I passed stuck in that horrible traffic hated the place that they were going to. Uh, It's more than seven out of 10. (laughs) <laughs> it's got to be higher than that, don't you think? We talk about this all the time, right? Like everybody seems to complain about their jobs right. and hate their jobs. The idea of 
a job ruining your life is also really popular in our culture. And one of my favorite movies, that's actually the entire point of it, I'm speaking about office space. And let me share a scene with you all. Here, our main character has already given up on work, and now he's talking about his daily routine. And after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell him but, space out? Yeah, I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. Oh, that's what I do whenever you see me <laughs> yeah. typing away. Oh, my God. So Gene it's is my employee, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> There's a raise. <laughs> yeah, really begging for a raise here. <laughs> do you guys have the same kind of experience? Have you had jobs you just hated going to every day? Gene, go ahead. You can just go ahead and say. <laughs> the one you have now. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I used to have this job delivering flowers, which sounds cute. But really, you're mainly just delivering to funerals and to sick old people. And there was one day when uh, I was delivering flowers to someone with the same first and last name as me. And I got there, and I was so psyched to meet her because I was like, oh, I've never met anyone like with my same name before. This is going to rock. <laughs> like, we're going to bond. And I get there, and she's like, it's like a hospice place. Uh, you know, she was like close to death and it just really made me confront my mortality in a way that I wasn't getting paid enough for. <laughs> and then immediately the very next place that I delivered to, I got bit by a dog. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I can't uh, top that. Um, wow. Maybe she was you from the future and you're living on some kind of loop. I've thought about that. I really hope not. Mm-mm. Yeah. For a lot of people, the only way out of some of these terrible jobs is literally to just get a new one. You often can't make your own job that much better. Of course, getting a new job is a lot easier said than done. Definitely. Fortunately, there is a step-by-step process for making the transition. And step one, search online for a new job. No, that's way down the line. Boy, so where do we start then? Well, first, let's zoom up and take a look at the big picture. Ken Coleman is a career consultant and host of The Ken Coleman Show. Here he is discussing how to find your sweet spot. What do I do best? Yep. Top talent. Yep. What do I love to do most? Top passion. Yeah. Values? What matters most to me? What's the result of my passionate work? Yeah. Then you're in your sweet spot. Talent, passion, and values. That's the sweet spot. Now, we dig down a step further. How do you figure out what your talents are? Here's Ken again to share his take. But you start with an exercise of writing down on a sheet of paper. Very important to get this out of your head. Okay. What are my top three talents? I think this is great advice. So how about we all do this now? Let's get out some paper and write down our talents. Okay, everyone, what do you have? Number one, writing things down. Perfect. Well, I can't say that. This looks like it was written by a chicken on a caffeine binge. (laughs) How about you, Gene? How come everyone else gets funny lines and I have to be sincere? That's not fair. You can improv something. Um, Someone else has to be sincere first. Danny? Uh, Well, I would say my top talent is probably patience. 
And that may not be a talent per se, but it's kind of helped uh, me teach special needs kids, helped me handle being a financial coach sometimes to people because sometimes it takes some patience to help people manage their money. So that's probably my top talent. And dealing with me, I think. That's a very useful talent to have. No, that's sure. mine. I was going to use that one. <laughs> that's no fair. <laughs> All right. We're done with step one. Now let's get back to Ken for the next question we ask ourselves. What do I love to do most? And Anthony, this is passion. What am I passionate about? And this is what it feels like. When I am engaged doing this task, whether it be a job, a hobby, you're doing something at school, maybe it's uh, acting, uh, maybe it's playing an instrument, maybe it's singing. When you are in this act, you feel alive. Ken's talking about what some people describe as a calling. What were you meant to do? The mental state Ken's describing is a real thing that psychologists call flow. People who are in flow basically don't get tired. They work harder, they're better at what they're doing, and they feel good while they're doing it. So let's try this now. What gets you all in the flow? What's your passion? As all of you have often agreed with me, it's just fun to just listen to me talk. <laughs> isn't it? Just listen to that, isn't it? Oh. It makes right my there. morning drive much better yeah. when I'm going to work in the morning, yeah, right. hearing see, your voice. See that? And there's Danny. Uh, the 50 is in your box. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, but seriously, I, I, I do actually enjoy the process of announcing. And if you're out there and you have some high-paying job where I could do some of that, send all of your cards and letters to Matt Gorn. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I'm the one responsible for that. Well, you're my agent now. You I, didn't understand okay. that? I guess This is so. a two-way street, pal. Yeah. I think you and I have a similar passion. I think you like talking more on the radio. I really like talking in front of groups of people. I've liked being up on stage and, and engaging with the audience more. But we do have that passion for communicating with folks. What's your passion, Gene? <laughs> Watching TV. <laughs> this is <laughs> this episode is, I think, being dedicated to Gene. Yes. As we're going on, everything <laughs> we're going to say is going to be useful for her professional development. Great. A lot of us come out of college with this expectation that we're going to immediately know our passion and what it is, because by all intent and purposes, you've now spent four or in your case, Matt, nine of your years, 11, 11, oh, 11, and a half. 11 and a half years of your life. Surely to God, you know by now what your passion is. And yet most college graduates probably haven't discovered their passion just yet. Is that fair? I think that's fair. For most students, what have you done? You've sat in a classroom. You've been an information sponge. And now people say, hey, go and do something that's not sit in a classroom. If you don't have that experience, it's really tough to know what you want to do. So we've got our talents. We've got our passions. The last thing Ken mentioned is value. To me, the idea of value is working on something that is bigger than yourself. And I think for all of us here, one of our values is helping people make better decisions with their money, ultimately so that they live better lives. I think that's right, but it's not everything. I think there's one last important piece, which is What can you be paid for? And we don't often talk about that in the U.S. When we talk about this idea of find your calling, find your flow, 
It's what we've said so far, talent, passion, value. The Japanese concept of Aikigai does bring that fourth idea in. You can have the coolest calling in the world, but if there's no job there, you probably should find something else to do. You know, it's easier said than done to just go get a different job. Sure, that's true. And that's why we've all got to get good resumes. A resume is how we communicate our talents to the world. But the resume isn't the be-all, end-all. No, it's really important to have a good resume. But I have found, too, the follow-up with a resume has helped me get my jobs. In teaching, they'll tell you just to apply on the county website of the school district you want to teach at, and that's it. But I have personally then, in addition to doing that, I'll go ahead and bring my resume to the school itself. And principals are really busy, but I'll say, hey, does he happen to have a minute or two, he or she, and if I could talk with them? If not, I'll leave my resume with the secretary up front. But a lot of times the principal will come and talk to me, and I've actually landed a job by doing that because it kind of took that additional step into showing that, hey, he is more of a go-getter than someone that just merely applies online. So as Danny's saying, a resume is not the only thing. You have to go out and talk to people. We've got to take a break now, but when we get back, some practical tips for getting out there. Before we go, quiz time. You may have heard it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, how true is that? What percent of jobs are found from networking and personal relationships rather than job applications? Gene's got it. Think about it. Mull it over. Make bets with your friends. We'll get you that answer after the break. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money on WUGA. 91.7 and 94.5 FM. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Elwood and Getz Financial Planning and Investments. As fee-only financial planners, they are fiduciaries to their clients. That's E-L-W-O-O-D-G-O-E-T-Z dot com. And from Sally May. Families can search for scholarships, make a plan to pay for college, and find private, undergraduate, parent, and graduate student loans at SallyMay.com. Nothing Funny About Money is also supported by listeners like you. You can find more information about how you can support public radio at NothingFunnyAboutMoney.org and WUGA.org. Okay, honey, you know I hate to be the bad guy here, but I'm really concerned. Mm-hmm. It's just we've been dropping a lot of money on these classes. Yeah, Dad, one second. I should take money classes. Got it. Anything else? No, honey. I mean, yes, there's more. I'm saying we're spending a lot of money on your classes. College, right? Yes, but no, I mean, look, we need to talk about your future. Dad, we've been over this. I'm finishing my herbaria certificate in the spring, and then I'll move out and get a job. Jeez. Okay, first off... Actually, bicycle through Europe for the summer and then get a job. And hang on a second. Honey? Hey, hun? Put the phone away, please. Oh my god, Dad, I'm talking with the job guy, SMDH. Please stop speaking that internet talk. TBH, it's much more efficient. Hun, we've already talked about how herbatology is Herbaria. not... Herbaria. Herbarium is not a real job. It is. We work with herbarium, and you need to check your privilege. My, my what? Your privilege, and hang on. 
God, give me strength. Okay, what are we talking about? Your job prospects and... Already on it. I haven't seen you go to one career fair. Dad, like, have you ever heard of LinkedIn? No one goes to career fairs anymore. Uh, they do, and... Uh, Dad, hold on. <sighs> Sorry, that was the guy from the plant biology department. What guy? From LinkedIn. I just told you. No, you didn't. I have, like, 5,000 connections. See, all the top plant biology departments and herbatoriums in the country are on here. I'm texting with their research directors and... Hang on, I gotta take this. Uh, okay. These people keep saying, come work for us this fall, and I'm like, is 90k a year really enough to drop out of my certificate program? Like, anyway. Hello? Hi, Paula. Great, and you? Yeah, now is a great time. Millennials. SMDH. Welcome back. I'm Matt Gorin, overeducated, underemployed, personal finance maven. I'm here with Gene Davis and Danny Kofke and Chris Shoup, and we're talking about getting a job. Before the break, we asked what percent of jobs are found through networking. What do you all think? I would say 60%. Most of them? I would say so, yes. I would uh, say half. I'd go 70. 70? Yeah. Yeah, so the people who've researched this stuff say at minimum... 70. According to an analysis by Payscale.com, LinkedIn, and others, 70 to 85% of jobs are coming from our networks, not those random job ads that we find online. Yeah, that's how I got this job. That's true. You knew Dr. Herndon, and I know Dr. Herndon, so through him. The old adage, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? So I kind of think that holds true. So the question for those of us out there who feel like our professional networks are pretty small, how do you grow a professional network? Well, I know in a lot of cities, they have monthly meetings, and I've been to some here in Athens, actually, where you have various businesses get together. So I think that's one way. And it also depends on what kind of field you're looking to get into. Obviously, for me being a teacher, it's a little bit easier because there's always teaching jobs available. But I think you just kind of have to see what network you're getting into, what field, and then kind of go where those people are. And in your case as a teacher, when you started out, your university set you up with a teaching gig right there, day one. They were helping you grow your network. Yeah. I mean, I was blessed because that's the way, you know, it worked with me. I student taught for a semester at a school. So then when I did that, I was able to meet you know, the principal, meet all sorts of teachers. Then I became a substitute and then kind of bounced around the county. But then you you do that at a couple of schools and the principal notices you. And then when the school year starts, they need a teacher. If you stand out a little bit, oh, yeah, I remember you. Why don't you come and teach for me? But you got to do a good job. And then also you kind of have to, you got to stand out a little bit. So you can't just be the average person and you're sitting there and the principal comes in and the kids are watching the, the computer. You know, you got to kind of be actively engaged with them. Right. And standing out helps if you wear funny hats. It does. It does. Yes. What would you guys do to network? I think the first thing uh, that's important is back to finding your passion or finding what it is you want to do and then be sure you're involved in the group of people that are doing that. So, I mean, it's it's kind of difficult to network for a job when you don't really have any relationship with that particular industry or career path. So you gotta you got to find out what that is, where is it that you want to go, and then get in with those people that are already doing that. Honestly, the most networking that I've ever done would be just making friends with 
the people in my classes, you know, and kind of keeping in touch with them and what they're doing. How's that going? Medium. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's going well? Well, a lot of them have jobs, which is great for them. And maybe if there was something opening up at their workplace and I needed a job, they would let me know. Yeah. How could that go better? Well, I could ask them. <laughs> right. Be more proactive. Yeah, or try to sabotage them at their job. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we wouldn't do that. We'd build each other up. And as Chris was saying, reaching out and volunteering and being involved in those organizations, I think, can help quite a bit. Most people, when they are introduced to you and you, you're meeting them for the first time and you want them to be part of your network, if you show up and the first thing that you say is, I'm looking for a job. I'd like you to pay me. It puts people into this weird mental state. Like, I just met you and you're trying to take from me. You want stuff from me. So like the energy is flowing from me to you. And you're a stranger. I have no idea who you are. And what I found works really well is when you meet people for the first time is to say, what can I do for you? I've got these skills. Does your organization need those skills? And even if all you're doing is volunteering, hey, that might show someone that you're willing to put in the time. Then when that opportunity arises where you could get paid, you're the first one on their mind. Yeah, I mean, that's helped me. Um, before I got into retirement planning, I was a teacher and actually the retirement advisors for our school, they would come and talk to us and they would do a couple presentations. And I said, hey, if you ever need help out, I'd love to go and talk to some teachers. So I ended up doing that for free. There were nights I traveled to Florida, came back, taught the next day. So, I mean, I went out of, you know, out of the way to do things like that. But they saw that. And then a couple of years later, a job was open in that company and they hired me to do it. But it was because they saw those things that I could offer them and saw, okay, he can help us. I did the same sort of thing when I got involved in personal finance. Because remember, for me, I was a psychologist. I had no background in personal finance. No one was going to pay me to give them financial advice, and they shouldn't have paid me to give them <laughs> financial advice. I volunteered with Operation Hope, which is a great financial education organization with Job Corps, with the YWCA. I helped the University of California, Berkeley set up a peer mentoring program. All of that was free. And doing that for years made me much better at giving financial advice. I learned a lot from talking to all those people. And I could add that to my resume. I then had years of financial education experience so that when I applied to the University of Georgia to be a personal finance professor, they said, oh, look at that. He's been doing this job for three years already, even though I had never been paid. Because we talked about it earlier about when you leave college, and you think, OK, this is what I'm going to do. So you majored in psychology. No clue. You didn't really know your sweet spot, thought you did. But then you started talking to people about managing money and you're like, hey, you know, I can use this psychology because that's basically what money management is. But you could use that. And then you kind of found your passion through that college, even though it wasn't your degree. And then it helped you kind of get into where you are right now, where you get to do what you enjoy on a daily basis and you're helping people. And it's much better. Thank you for me. Finding your sweet spot feels really good. Yeah, you're a well-paid NPR host now, so look at you. <laughs> oh, God. Very not true. <laughs> uh, one of the principles that I think we're talking about here is what some people call dipping your toe in. Many people I've met say, 
I'd love to get the new job. I'd love to change my life around, but I can't because I can't just find a new job. You don't need to find a new job. Find a couple hours every week to volunteer, to meet new people. Dip your toe in to some of those positions. And that's kind of what you're doing, Gene, with all these journalism jobs you're doing. Yeah, I do this and I freelance for the Banner Herald and I'm trying to freelance for a couple other places as well and um, chewing a little bit here, chewing a little bit there, <laughs> seeing what works out. That's right. And it does take some time. Ultimately, though, you're going to end up with the dream job, hopefully here, <laughs> so we can afford to pay you. <laughs> so what Gene's talking about sounds more like the gig economy, which is a whole new episode altogether, right? Yeah. We are now in a new economic world where people don't generally work just one job. They don't work for other people. So it's that much more important to get your feelers out there, meet new people, grow your network, and grow your skill set. I don't want to meet new people. I've never networked in my life and things are going okay. Why do I need to smooth anyway? Why can't people just give me jobs? Or better yet, free money? I could really go for $600 of right about now. Yeah, if I had $600, I could go on a little vacation. Wait, will I ever be able to go on vacation? And what happens when I get kicked off my parents' health insurance plan? I can't afford that. What if I can't find more work? I won't be able to afford any of this. I have to get a bunk bed and share my room. I won't even be able to buy groceries. I'll be living off free samples from Trader Joe's. Something something capitalism. I'll be one of the people Tom's give shoes to. I'll be wearing rags, but not cute rags. Robots will take my job. Robots will hunt me for sport. I'll be sent to the home for wayward freelancers, begging for food from a cruel robot mistress. More, please? Can I have some more, please? Some more of what, Gene? What? Oh, hmm? You okay, Gene? Yeah, sure. Okay. People listening to this might say, Hey, Matt, this all sounds very easy for you to say or for Chris to say or for Danny to say, but I'm more like Gene. I'm in the beginning of this. I'm building this stuff up. You don't know how hard it is. You don't know the struggle that we're going through. And I can tell you that at this moment, things are going well for me. But as Danny alluded to, I went through a career change that lasted about three and a half years I had a PhD, and within a year of graduating, I was on unemployment. And I've been on unemployment another time since then. I've lost a few jobs while making this transition. It isn't an easy thing. It's not something that you just snap your fingers and get. It takes a lot of time. It's very stressful. But what's the alternative? If you don't keep pressing forward, meeting those people, who you can work with, who are ultimately going to hire you or find someone who will, you're just going to be stuck at that same dead-end job. And that's not a good time. You'll be like the 70% that are going to work that don't feel actively engaged. Exactly. And if you are worried about failing, if you're worried about getting fired from that next job or making a fool of yourself, that's not 
failure. That's a setback. Failure is when you stop trying, when you give up, and that's it. You've stuck yourself in that position you don't want to be in for the rest of your life. The process of finding a new job can take time, potentially years. So if you're having trouble with any of this, reach out. Visit nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and send us a message. We're happy to help over email, phone, or in person. And if you help out an organization, we love to speak to an audience. We've given talks literally coast to coast and want to hear from you too. Is that it? I think so. Thanks again, as always, to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, our associate producer, Gene Davis, and our audio engineer, Garrett Burke. And thank you for listening. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. This show is recorded in the studios of WUGA Athens on the University of Georgia campus. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. 